Welcome back to the Highway to Well podcast here at the intersection of wellness and culture. In this episode, we dive right into the value of placemaking and how spaces impact our well-being. But mostly we're going to talk about how to develop a better sense of creativity and its impact on your well-being. We're going to do that with Greg Wright, the director of Create Portage County, a man that we swear doesn't sleep, builds community, that's his true passion, he lives his purpose, and we also get to hear his less than positive take on my love for John Cougar Mellencamp. Ready? Let's go. officially recording it looks like it's actually recording too so that's good awesome all right welcome we're at the highway to well podcast we're calling this our pilot two episode here with greg wright the executive director from create portage county and i asked him to come here because i really have two words that sound great when you use them together purpose and wellness but he is um, he's involved in a lot of advocacy and creative placemaking here in central Wisconsin, but he has connections and relationships with communities like ours across the U.S. and has just an amazing point of view regarding wellness. And I love when, when we talk about wellness, I love bringing people who aren't traditionally from the field but are doing incredible stuff in the field. And we have a session coming up here in central Wisconsin in June where he's going to talk about creative time off as a workforce wellness strategy, which is one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to chat with him here. But before we get to that, Greg, I have a few questions for you. I'm ready. I want to play a little game with you. Okay. I want to test you first so I know what kind of questions to ask you about your wellness and purpose strategies later, okay? Sure. These are really important questions. I'm ready. Okay. Yeah, you have to tell me if you think that these people are underrated, overrated, or properly rated. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Edwin McCain. Um, properly rated. Really? Why not? Ah, man. I thought you were going to say underrated on that. You're an Edwin McCain fan? I'm, I'm, I'm ambivalent. How about uh, that? Yeah. Well, if you listen to Darwin's Children really loud, mm. for some reason, it's really soul enriching. Maybe it's just me. John Cougar Mellencamp. Um, I would say probably overrated. Overrated. Yeah. It's, oh, come on, you got to tell me why. I mean, I think he's, I think he's like classic, but I kind of find classic to be boring sometimes. <laughs> Is that fair? Farmade. I know. I know. I'm sorry. Farmade. I'm sorry. I I I I heard a John Cougar Mellencamp song over the winter. Yeah. In, here in Wisconsin, when yeah. you hear sometimes music in the winter and there's 20 inches of snow. It, there's something special about the song at the time. I can I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. I will say like, uh, as I get older too, I find that my appreciation for like his place in music makes more sense. Well, you know the uh, seat that you're sitting in. Mm-hmm. I call that the rumble seat, <laughs> courtesy of John Cougar Mellencamp. I'm gonna try my hardest to bring him back to the forefront of music i'm sure he's out there right now listening <laughs> going probably, thank god thank somebody, somebody is advocating still, for my career somebody in this still way. remembers me yeah, yeah well and i maybe it's just that we're under the um uh, maybe it's political too because of john cougar mellencamp's place in the mid 80s 
uh, socio-political world where he was advocating for the American farmer. Yeah. But, no, I can appreciate and that. And I wasn't raised on a farm. <laughs> but This is news to me. I somehow, always assumed you were a farm kid. <laughs> that's what everyone says for someone from Oklahoma. Oh, so you were raised on a farm. Yeah. No, I was actually in a city. I mean, of, we Wisconsin kids get a lot of that too. <laughs> yeah. I, I have had the, oh, so you had cows question more times in my life than I'd like to admit. <laughs> yeah, I, eventually when I was in college, I, I went to college in Illinois, and it was strange to me that I went to college in a very small rural rural Illinois town mm-hmm. surrounded by farms, but people thought, peop, they thought being from Oklahoma that I was the one raised on a farm. So eventually I just said, sure, my house had dirt. <laughs> we were just raised on red dirt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes for great sunsets. So. It does. Okay, Phil Collins. Uh, Phil Collins, I think, is both under and overrated, depending on which part of his career you're talking about. Bingo. I like that. Which part is he underrated? Uh, early. <laughs> early? I feel like he just got worse. Uh, you know, like early career Phil Collins is some great stuff. Did some really important things for music. He and did. Then, and then just kind of, I don't know, like... <laughs> just kind just, of fell off. Just yeah, didn't fell quite off the wagon. Didn't a little quite bit. figure out. I'm not sure. Like Tarzan is like the way he should have gone out. But. I think the I think the issue with Phil Collins is that when he when when Live Aid happened in '85 and he played in London and then got on the Concorde to fly to play in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I thought that was amazing. But as I've grown up and then I started listening more to his music, I think that's where the absurdity of his career really started. Yeah. Even though he had some really good hits after that, mm. I think he eventually thought he could really do anything, and he really can't do everything. That's fair. Well, that's, a, that's I think, a fairly common – I mean, that's a, a wellness mistake probably. That is probably. That's okay. how we should categorize that. Absolutely. So I have I have one last one for you. Yeah. White Lion's Weight. Um, you know, I don't even really know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll have – we'll need to talk about that. I feel like you hit a button – you can Sorry. edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> we just had a little technical difficulty. I got very excited about Phil Collins and, and thinking about White Lion and Weight and all the things that, that Greg needs to learn about 80s hair metal. Yeah. So. I'll admit, like, an, I was not much of an 80s hair metal listener when I was in my early childhood. You know... It, and <laughs> don't get me wrong, like... <laughs> you don't have to... <laughs> this is a non-judgmental zone. <laughs> you don't have to appease me by no, saying... No, I do. I, I kind of feel like I have to, <laughs> and that's fine. I think this is one of those places where I admit that you're a little older than I am. Is that fair? That's fair. That's fair. But I wasn't, I, I was less of a fan of 80s hair metal in the middle of the 80s than I am now. Oh, yeah. I think there's, I don't, there's something, uh, there's something entertaining, more entertaining about it now than there ever was in yeah, like yeah. 87, 88. You know, when, uh, when I had to take all that, sorry, listeners, this is sort of an inside thing, but when I had to take all that plastic off the hockey rink, yeah. we, we, for your listeners at home, we are recycling all the old plastic from a hockey rink in town for a 3D printer. And I found out the day before that I needed to take all of it off the boards myself. <laughs> uh, but they were listening to like 80s hair bands on the radio there. Yeah, hockey And it was music. perfect. Yeah. Like, you know, and it was like, that was like, oh, I need to be doing this more. There's, there is just something about it now that it's like, it's, I mean, it is like, it has aged very well, which isn't really surprising. <laughs> yeah, except that it's really basically three or four harmonic power chords yeah. with a little guitar virtuoso built in. Oh and yeah, there's no one. There are no more gar- guitar solos in music, so it's refreshing to hear. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's awesome. Yeah. 
I, I think it was when I started doing long distance running that I really went back to my childhood and thought how much I really actually love Def Leppard. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So that's why, well, that's the rest of my life journey is going to be reviving John Cougar Mellencamp and Poison. Fair. All right. So those are those are good goals. <laughs> I thought you had other goals, but we'll take those. No, I'm I'm trying to minimize some of my goals to yeah. just things that are very important, like how awesome the first twenty seconds of Poison's Cry Tough is. Yeah. That will make you run through a brick wall for anything. That's fair. So Yeah. And I love doing I, I do this meditation with my with my high school soccer team and I was thinking, so what could I do? What could, what could I play for them that they haven't heard that they would actually listen to? But also, how could I get them to have a out-of-body experience, but yet give them something that motivates them? And if you feel like, if you've ever worked with high school boys, they're sometimes like the easiest to understand and then the most challenging to understand. Yeah, that's true. And so I had, them, I had my team collected and we had this game coming up and I wanted him to be focused, so I, I thought, oh, I think I'm going to play Poison's Cry Tough for them and see what happens. So I got him. We got this little, like, locker room area. I got them all in. It's a very tight space, and I, I just told one of the kids, I, I, want you to bring a, I want you to bring a speaker. He had this really nice, loud, MP, you know, Bluetooth speaker. So brings it in, sets it down. I didn't tell any of them what was going to happen, so I had him come in, start breathing, going through some calm breathing exercises get them really settled, get their feet on the ground, get their hands loose out in front of them and have them close their eyes and have them start taking in the smells and the sounds of being at the fields, the grass in between their cleats, putting on their equipment. And then I had it queued up in the background, ready to go. And then I played, started playing the song and it was very quiet at first Mm -hmm. when I turned the volume up because it's like, it gets you like three or four bars of music and all of them are, you know, they're, they're, they're my players. So they walk this line of appreciating and also being scared at all Mm. all minutes when you're (laughs) talking to them and they didn't know whether or not to open their eyes. They're like, and you could tell like, is this coach for real? (laughs) Are we really (laughs) doing this? And one of the guys opened his eyes and I got right in his, I like knelt down right in his face and I looked at him and pointed at his eye and then gave him like the motion to close it and Mm. he closed it right away. (laughs) And then after a while, the song starts going and the guitars come in and the whammy bars and everything is going crazy. It sounds incredible. And then I look and there's like some of the guys are starting to move their head a little bit. Their eyes are closed. They're starting to, then they're starting to bounce their feet. And then we got to the end of the song. I just pushed stop and I was like, now go to the field. And I swear I thought they were going to break the door down. (laughs) It was absolutely one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had as a coach. That's awesome. Thank you, Brett Michaels. Yeah. So let's talk about wellness now. Yeah. Here we go. Oh my gosh, this is like a perfect transition. Exactly. Good segue right into creative placemaking and creativity. And so you have a session coming up here that I'm very curious about because it ties in a lot of some of the things that we've been talking about in wellness for a very long time. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and, and wellness as a field is, is ultimately about purpose, finding purpose, but about expressing your, your best self in different ways. And, and we can argue about that forever. We're not here to really discuss that, but mm. you come at this from a, 
a different point of view, but you're hitting on the same strategies that we've been trying to to get um, environments to be involved. In fact, one of the thing one of the things we run into oftentimes when we talk about environment and wellness, it um, it can get confusing. Are we talking about physical environments, green space, and and light, and how we build um, buildings and workspaces, communities and homes in mm-hmm. terms of physical environment, and and yet that's part of this but there's also a different part of how do you build environments for the expressive self to come through and then to help and to consider that as part of your wellness strategy and then the health benefits of that Mm -hmm. um tell me a little bit about where this how you where this came from how it was developed and and really what is your what's the key key thing that we can learn as well as professionals about the work that you're doing in communities. Sure. So I, I guess I'll back up and say, so I, I work for an organization called Create Portage County. Uh, we're a creative placemaking organization for any listener at home who doesn't know what that phrase means. Congratulations. You're among most of the population. That's a relatively new term. Uh, but the, the concept is that you are using arts and culture and arts and culture experiences to, uh, try to affect a community in some way. So try to address social issues, try to create a culture and an identity in the community, uh, again, using those arts and culture investments. Um, and really trying to create a sense of place, a strong feel of place in a community. Uh, and so the the concept behind it really is, you know, again, just making, making a, a sense of place, making people feel a sense of community, uh, trying to foster gathering and purpose and connection uh, again, through very strategic community investments. And so when this connects to wellness, there's some really interesting research that's been coming out about the importance of creative outlets, about the importance of community, uh, about the importance of gathering that uh, we've been trying to pay attention to. Uh, one of the studies we've read actually suggests that creative outlets are more important than uh, diet, nutrition, and or nutrition, exercise, and sleeping right uh, in terms of the benefits it can have for somebody. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's a lot of what we're trying to do and then trying to talk about that with business strategies and other, uh, things like that to get people better connected to their communities, to their, to their health, to each other, all that stuff. So you, when you're, when you're looking at it, tell me a little bit about how you, when you, or if you've had some conversations with like your corporate people in the community and how. When you're talking about creative time off, what are those conversations like? Yeah, so uh, we've just started those conversations and they, you know, that people are very intrigued by them. I think one of the things, and I think you and I have talked about this, that is always challenging with wellness. I think this is true with almost anything that we do as an organization is people want to see a very direct benefit. Uh, and so they want to be able to take, uh, I made this investment and this was the direct output that came from that investment. And I think sometimes we're looking too much as, at simple equations when we should be looking at more complicated equations that often those benefits are, uh, you know, you have to you have to follow out a series of events to get to the true benefit or the true cost. And so something like, you know, paying for somebody's gym membership, I think, is a much easier 
way to do a wellness program at a, at a workforce or workplace than it is to, to follow through the idea of a creative time off situation. Uh, but what we've been talking about is that, you know, that again, that people who are people who have a creative outlet, people who are able to explore their sense of purpose and then pursue that purpose uh, and who feel empowered by their, their workplace to do that uh, tend to f- have much higher levels of job satisfaction, tend to, again, live longer and healthier lives. And so how can we incorporate that? You know, a lot of organizations are already giving volunteer time off where people can go, you know, and serve the community in some way. Well, why can't they use that same sort of structure to give people time to explore some sort of creative pursuit? So you have an employee who isn't a band and wants to be a musician. Uh, can they have f- some flex time if they have gigs to play? If you have somebody who's an entrepreneur and wants to be creating their own business, could they have a certain amount of time per week that they're allowed to work on that project as as part of the company? Uh, you know, and, and to say that companies that are supportive of those those bigger ideas, those sense that again, that sense of purpose or that, that creative outlet are going to have much happier employees. Those employees are going to be much more likely to spend the rest of their time uh, really engaged in the work they're doing because they're going to feel a sense of, of responsibility to and loyalty to that company that that's supporting them in the way they want to be supported. Yeah. I mean, those are all really key concepts that oftentimes are, I don't want to say they're overlooked in our strategies, but so what you're doing is you're bridging some of the conceptually the things that we know and understand and, and there's some people in our in the field that have been moving in this direction Victor mm-hmm. Strecker is a person we brought here for our wellness summit a few years ago he's doing a tremendous amount of work in terms of purpose finding creativity Sean Foy um, out in California who has a lot of partnerships with um, well called wellness councils of America and also with the Daniel Diet Plan, one of this, um, one of these best-selling projects that that doctors Daniel Amen and Mark Hyman and Dr. Oz were all involved with. But um, they, one of the key things that they've they're moving away from is trying to get us to correlate health and our wellness as as two of the same. And where we're real, where we're practicing wellness only in terms of what our health risk uh, outputs look like. So for a lot of times, what that means is. We'll do health risk assessments or biometric screening at the work site, and we mm-hmm. use that data to determine our wellness programming. Well, that data is based on health risk, and so a lot of that ultimately is because the company itself wants to save money, so they identify people as the high-risk um, participants and then try to program for that group to minimize that risk. And what mm-hmm. we find is in wellness, that's, that's kind of counter to what we're really trying to do a lot of times. Like, that's health management. And so um, for what we want to look at is uh, oftentimes a, a sense of purpose and creativity and, and things like creating opportunities for people to thrive. And what that means to them is an individual pursuit. So like you said, like if someone is in a band and wants to play music and create opportunities for them to continue to do that, they may very well end up being a better employee mm-hmm. because that hasn't been, um, you don't, you don't have these conflicting worlds with them. You have, um, this kind of co like collaborative relationship in their mind between their work and their play or their two passions. They may be pa- just as passionate about their work as they are their music you're not creating the, uh, an opportunity for them to try to put one in front of the other too. Yeah. And, and you know, there are, there are some studies coming out that are suggesting that has some real value. There's uh there was a study that was done in the, the Bay area on, uh, 
high achieving IT professionals that found that almost all of them were actively playing music still. Mm -hmm. uh, there was another study that found that people who participated in choirs as adults had much higher rates of job satisfaction, uh, actually indicated that they were willing to stay in a job that they weren't necessarily that satisfied with because of the fact that they had this other outlet that was providing them with their happiness. Mm -hmm. And so work became work and you know they, they put their purpose into something else. You know, that may be problematic to some degree, but I think again, not everyone is going to get to have you know, going to have a job that's totally satisfying, and so uh, finding other ways to provide that sense of satisfaction for people who need to do jobs that we need people to do, I think, is important too. You know, there's a there's some doctors in the UK right now that are starting to subscribe or prescribe museum visits as a as a you know a medicine for people who are both not just going through uh, like mental health issues, but actually going through physical health issues as well and finding positive results to that. And again, I think that is, uh, you know, to me what that speaks to is I think the last couple of decades of the U.S. have been so systemic. You know, it's everything is about institutions and prescriptions and data. And I think we're starting to figure out that like while that was valuable to learn, there is value beyond sometimes what is just the very logical and prescriptive approach to things. And so not taking into account, you know, happiness and purpose mm -hmm. and creativity when you're thinking about wellness and health uh, is is really detrimental. You know, we know there are people who are doing everything right in terms of their nutrition, their diet, their exercise, uh, you know, their their sleep habits, but just still aren't healthy and still aren't 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 happy people. And if we're ignoring that piece of it, I think that's that's really detrimental. Yeah, that is that. Uh, I, lo I love that you said that we because a lot of our a lot of our attention is paid towards people that have conditions, risk conditions, health issues that are uh, identifiable. And yet, like you said, the group of people that we need to pay better attention to are people who might be physically healthy, but are emotionally a wreck, are completely stressed out. And that says a lot about their environment that they're creating, their, their work environment, but also their home environment too. And then it gives us a chance to have conversations about what are they doing that allows them to be um, maximizing um, themselves in other ways that are not solely related to that work environment mm -hmm. that's likely killing them. We have, a, these, we have tons of conversations about how work is killing us in different ways. So yeah. for years, for a few years, we kept hearing that sitting is the next smoking and to some degree that that's not necessarily the complete truth of that but there's an idea there about work environment and about how much time that you're spending sitting in versus what other healthy activities you could be doing and so we can continue we'll probably continue to debate that one forever yeah. but there's a there's another part of that about the combination like the cascading amount of other factors in our complex work structures that end up causing health issues that don't show up today mm -hmm. but eventually start to creep in and eventually create health issues later in life and and so those stress related pieces that that allostatic load that we talk about where a constant level of stress creating really beating up your heart can mm -hmm. end up causing a lot of health related issues let alone the fact that probably all of that time spent under stress was was taking away from other creative pursuits or yeah. things that would make you happier. Well, and, and I think, you know, I think one of the biggest changes that's happening in the workforce in general is, you know, that we are, we are seeing this massive shift towards efficiency 
right? That is, uh, you know, everyone is working to their maximized potential <laughs> and we're at the same time seeing a shift to automation. And I don't think we're having a question about why that's valuable right. and what that could do to actually make lives better for people. In fact, I would say right now what most of that is doing is making most people's lives significantly worse because everyone's work, everyone I know is working a crazy amount of hours uh, and expected to have an incredible amount of output. Uh, for the likelihood that they may create a system that can then be replicated by a machine and have their job go away, right? And and so instead, I w- you know, how great would it be if as companies or as people, as organizations, we were having conversations about how that efficiency can lead to less time needed on task mm-hmm. and more time for some sort of other project, be that, you know, be that volunteering, be that uh, wellness, be that, you know, some sort of creative project, an arts project, an entrepreneurship project, a community service project. You know, one thing I've been thinking about as somebody who runs a nonprofit and nonprofits always struggle for, to find resources is, you know, is, is the next shift in the way the workforce operates going to be that as we need fewer people working in jobs they've historically worked in because of automation taking over, that we could instead carve out a significant chunk of time to fund the nonprofit work we've been ignoring for a long time and actually address issues like hunger and poverty and obesity and Mm -hmm. depression and war and gun violence and whatever else, you know, could we put a lot of resources into those types of projects? Uh, and 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 ha- make positive impact in our communities, and, and, and I think there, you know, there's a study that just came out that says I think it's 94% of millennials want to be using their skill set to do good for the world in addition to what mm-hmm. they're doing at their work, and that they're they are much happier when they're working for an employer who gives them time to use their skill set in that capacity, and that's I mean that's incredible data, right? We mm-hmm. knowing that almost everybody who's entering the workforce right now not only wants to do good for their commu- their company, but also wants to have some sort of impact on their community with that same skill set. If we could start to build systems to let people do that, you know, I I could tell you if if we could have, if every employer in Stevens Point gave uh, two hours a week for people on average to spend time helping out a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we would we would have an incredible amount of resources to do work with, you know, and, and so I think I think it is trying to think through those conversations. But I also think it is beyond just, you know, traditionally that's been volunteer work and volunteer work t- traditionally has a very limited scope of what mm-hmm. that entails. So you can go and, you know, deliver meals to people. You can, uh, you know, do some sort of uh, volunteer work at some sort of charity. And I think all that stuff is great. I'm not in any way trying to say that it's not. But why can't that same thing be? Again, you can go paint a mural in your community. You can, again, go work on the next business that could potentially create jobs for your community. Uh, I think there are other ways that we can see value in community service that isn't just the, t- the traditional ways of volunteer nonprofit hours. Yeah, you, you bring up a couple really good points, and I think we could spend multiple podcasts talking about the drive for efficiency alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that uh, in our... in there's a couple parts there. I'm wondering, really wonder what you think about these. You know, you know that drive to efficiency. While there are certain factors that, you know, they can create more time for other things too. But in that drive to efficiency, we're also losing a lot of times the touch. Mm-hmm. So, and it goes into say writing a personal note to someone, or if you're in a process where you're accepting applications and you're trying to automate a system because you want some efficiency there, 
are you losing the part that means the most to the person on the receiving end? I think that the res- the receptor of the service is the one that we often forget about. We forget about how they're going to feel about that touch. Um, and so I know even even in some college campuses and their admissions processes are trying to streamline them mm-hmm. because they're all using you know customer management tools that you put data in, you put data out, and just churn stuff out. And and yet I know when I was choosing colleges, I chose mine because of the amount of time that they spent on me giving me a few phone calls, yeah. writing actual handwritten letters or thank yous, incredibly inefficient processes. Yeah. But very effective. Well and, and we I think we've clouded we've we've assumed that efficient means good and then we forget about ineff- and we assume inefficiency is bad because it's wasting time, but there's a value there that gets lost. Well, and I think that gets to uh, efficiency for efficiency's sake, or not, I guess not looking at what the outcomes of that efficiency mm-hmm. are. And, I, and what I think that even more speaks to is our, you know, we have a national addiction to profit right now mm-hmm. that that is not healthy, right? I mean, that is not a sign of a well nation that we are so focused on profits that we're willing to, uh, you know, to to disregard a lot of other positive benefits that are really important as well. And so if you're, you know, you're so focused on increasing your profit margin from year to year that you aren't thinking anymore about service delivery or uh, or outcome, you know, other outcomes, health outcomes. You know, I, I think it's it's I always think it's fascinating to watch the field of healthcare and how how horrible the wellness environment for workers are. I mean, I just don't know anybody who works in that that sector who feels uh, like their job contributes to their wellness. And it's it, that's a disconnect that's really shocking, right? You know, again, if any field should be thinking through these conversations, it should be that one. You know, and obviously I know people like you are trying to push those conversations in that specific sector, but but it is, you know, to me, what that gets back to is, you know, we're, we are, we are, we measure, we measure the success of a company right now by its increase in profit margins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that metric is, um, is, is a metric and that metric has value and there is something good about, about growing and, and wealth and whatever else. But if we're not looking at any of the, the co- sunk costs, the hidden costs to that efficiency, um, we can often miss the fact that while we are increasing profits, we are decreasing outcomes, uh, and some of those outcomes are really significant. Yeah, yeah, and it, that's uh, the question of what we're valuing at that co- at that corporate level is is just confusing, and and that's where us as wellness professionals we see exactly what you see in healthcare mm. is one of the most glaring arenas where we see the people that are trying to provide healthcare and in, in their work environments are often some of the worst and most stressful and least likely to have wellness or at least associate well-being programs in place. Mm-hmm. And, and the ones that do are, are shining examples. There's, there's a few that are, and, um, we had, um, we had a guy, Mitch Martins here from, Ki- um, sorry, from Mount, um, Cedar Sinai out of California mm-hmm. and he's their wellness administrator over there and he he stripped them of kind of their traditional benefit plan structure program where everyone does a screening and if you score a certain way you get incentives to uh, apply towards your health premium mm-hmm. so that is that's that's a how a lot of programs are run is let's see how, how how much disease or sickness you have and then you have to pay because that's where everything is 
is going. It's mm-hmm. going right into the cost of care. And so oftentimes wellness programs are really nothing more than benefit strategies to try to reduce costs. Mm-hmm. Well, wellness in and of itself is oftentimes inefficient. It's a, it, well, like what we're talking about is not a very efficient process, yeah. but the rewards and the benefits of it are, are incredible, but they're also hard to, to put into an ROI chart. Yeah. And this is, this is a struggle that we are constantly having is how do we measure the health and well-being of someone in a corporate setting that would, for, that would have us allow us to have conversations with companies. And it's, and I've had some great conversations with companies about some of the things that you're talking about, about providing some, some benefit for someone who does something for their community. So whether that's participating in a volunteer event or whether that's even um, going and doing a 5K that's a fundraiser for mm-hmm. some greater good, we've, and, and build that into your, to your traditional structure so you don't remove the thing that you want, but you add in things that we want and we know that there is good there it may be it may not be as efficient or it may not provide you the ROI data but it definitely makes your corporate environment mm-hmm. a lot happier and healthier yeah and i think you know one one word i hear you saying that i think is really crucial to like pull out in these conversations is that idea of being measurable right because i think that it, you know it's to me it's less about whether or not something is efficient it's about whether or not that efficiency is measurable right. and that we're so we so much want to be able to measure the return on investment that we're making that we're only willing to make investments that are measurable. And so a lot of, I think a lot of the programs that really could have the most impact are very difficult to measure. Not that they can't be measured, but it's not, it's not easy. I mean, it's the same thing with what's going on in schools right now, where the easiest subjects to measure are reading and math. Mm-hmm. And so you've seen this shift to an emphasis on reading and math instruction in schools, because that's the easiest way to assess a kid's progress but a lot of the subjects that are harder to measure and a lot of the skills that we want kids to learn in school that are harder to measure are actually more valuable to you know creativity critical thinking uh you know autonomy those types of things are really what businesses want to see students graduate with but those are really really hard to measure in a standardized test and so you know i think that that same thing is happening in a lot of workforce situations where you know what what can look very inefficient like just giving people some autonomy and some free time to to use as they they would want to like there's a risk that people could abuse that there's a risk that it could not have outcomes it's you know it's a risk that the outcome is really hard to actually correlate directly to that program but it actually may be the more efficient way to have these results. I think there's a a story I heard once about, I think it's Xerox that uh, figured out the best way for them to train people on uh, how to fix their machines was to give them a longer lunch hour. Because if they had a longer lunch hour, they would spend time talking and that conversation would naturally turn into, hey, did you have this problem? Mm -hmm. Does anybody know how to fix this? And then they just gave their employees time to socialize together. And in socializing, they naturally spent time talking about work. And in talking about work, a lot of like problem solving happened naturally in the lunchroom that they otherwise, if you know, they had been setting professional development sessions for them to have that same conversation, it wouldn't have been responsive to problems people were actually having in the field. And it would have been, you know, something everyone rolled their eyes at because who likes Mm -hmm. going to those PD sessions? Right. And so, so, but it, but it's 
giving people a longer lunch as a strategy for professional development doesn't look good on paper. And so, you know, I think that is one of the things we, and I, I feel that because of the work we do. I mean, we do a lot of work, very little of the work we do has any direct impact, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really hard sometimes to explain to people, you know, and, and people in this community, I think generally trust that we're doing good work and we get a lot of good feedback, like, yeah, Create's doing good stuff. And then you ask somebody to try to explain what we're doing and they, like they totally don't know and you know and it's not their job to it's my job to and it's my job to like garner enough trust from the community that we're doing yeah. good work but you know we do i mean we can talk about the economic benefits of us doing free live music concerts and us painting murals and whatever else right but it is walking people through this series of because this is there this person will go here and this person will then do this and they will after that do this and down the road that's going to lead to some sort of economic impact in the community it isn't like we gave people five dollars and they spent it you know and so um you know but i think that is again for this like creativity-based or purpose-based wellness uh we have to i think to some degree trust our intuition that this is valuable and we have to maybe work towards figuring out how to measure that long term uh but i also think if we're so focused on what it what is measurable in that roi sense uh, we're going to overlook a lot of things that we know are working better. And instead we're going to invest in things that really don't have the outcomes we're looking for. Yeah. And there's, there's been some, it, what's been really nice to see is there is, there is this kind of wave of realization on the part of people in, in my area of the field of having talked about ROI for so long. And there have been some professionals that have, have tried to build some models that are called our, or they call it like our value on investment, value of investment, mm-hmm. which is a, another way of trying to find some things that are measurable that haven't traditionally been measurable, but at least we're making a statement that, and, and so if I meet with a company, we ask them, well, what's your primary goal here? And oftentimes they don't say cost first, cost is like second or third, but we know the cost driver is the critical one that mm-hmm. lo- is looked at by the financial people. And that those are and going back to the profit margins. Those are critical things you don't want to dismiss or overlook at all. But if you talk to some leadership of companies, they oftentimes want their comp, you know, their employees to be healthy, healthy and happier. Mm. The point is, how do we get there? You know, often we're not doing the best job of, of taking that concept and then realizing it. And yet, you know, like you said, you know, you have. So what is an output or what is measurable? And, and so I know recently you did a project where you had the community painting trash cans around town, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly brilliant thing. I don't know how measurable it is, yeah. but now when I'm walking downtown, I see this this artwork on a trash can. I feel like I'm in a better place, yeah. like right there. Yeah. I've already gotten some, I've derived a benefit from seeing the work that your, that your team or the group of people involved in this project had done. And that's the kind of thing that, that we are dismissive of is the creativity and the, in the, and this doesn't mean that everyone has to be an artist, but the expression of, of going through that process of creating something is so valuable. And we, and in our field, we're, we're starting to take some steps back to some of the original concepts of where wellness came from mm-hmm. and talking about the creativity of the individual, the expressiveness and the purpose and finding our whys. Well, all that centers into this existential discussion of who we are in, at our core. And then how can we build some tools to help people figure that out? And, and I, you know, we, had, we did our Highway to Wellness workshop here where we had people drawing their object, draw themselves as an object, mm-hmm. which gives them a chance to not worry about drawing a person because no one wants to draw an actual person 
because few people. <laughs> there are a couple of artists who do. There are a couple. Yeah, yeah. yeah there are a couple, but <laughs> most they typically don't. aren't going to be in our yeah. session. Yeah. <laughs> but it, for the most part, uh, telling them to just draw themselves as an object, it does a couple of things. One, it releases the stress of drawing themselves as a person. Mm-hmm. And then, but it also gives them a chance to think, take a step back and think about, okay, well, who am I and what am I? And what do I mean to other people? And then we go through an identity mapping and figuring out our roles first to try to set that up. So it's a little easier for someone to get to that point. But, yeah. but, we've, but it always, always has a positive benefit to that person and it helps them get to then the next questions of what's their why, mm-hmm. what's their purpose. So we, once you figure yourself out a little bit more, it's a lot easier to dive into purpose. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the things that's fascinating about that, and I mean, I love the work you're doing in, in that particular space is, uh, you know, an observation I've made that so few people ever take the time to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when, when we think about what I think is probably the most dangerous efficiency that we've fallen into as a society, it's that we have made identities very efficient. And so, you know, like all the marketing we receive, all the media communication we have about, okay, I was born you know, this skin color, this gender, uh, you know, in this part of the country speaking this language. And that automatically turns into all these like demographic studies, marketing companies have done about what I'm supposed to, to like, shop for, buy, do as a career. Uh, and I think, f- f- you know, there, that, that constant bombardment, especially now with social media of this is who I am, uh, other people informing who I am instead of me taking the time to say like, what about this actually feels good to me? And what about this doesn't like what, what pieces of this identity make sense for me? What pieces don't? And how do I construct my own identity, my own sense of purpose? Like we just don't do that work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no time for that in schools anymore. Uh, there's very little time for that at work. Uh, and so I think, and I think that is, you know, to me, part of where this major mental health crisis is coming from in our country is a result of people, um, like really, I mean, the way I've described it is people are on moving sidewalks these days, right? Like it's moving forward without you even trying to walk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and if you don't have an occasion to step off that sidewalk and really decide if you want to be moving in that direction, you can find yourself like way farther down the airport than you want to be when the flight you're supposed to be taking is in a completely different terminal. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so I think that, that is, that is the challenge. Right. And, and so, uh, and and that's not going to be fixed by, having your company give you a stipend to go to the gym once a week. That's, you know, the gym is going to be one more thing that takes up time that doesn't give you time to think through that stuff. And so, you know, as we live these very efficient lives and as we're marketed these very efficient identities, like where in in the course of a day, the course of a year, do we have time to like stop and reflect and make sure where we, we, we are where we want to be. And I think part of the reason, I mean, like the, the cynic in me that says part of the reason why we're not doing that work is that work is very dangerous for companies. Cause what if you find, what if your employees find out they don't want to be doing what they're doing, you know, um, like that's a g- great way to have your employees leave and go do something else. But I guess I would say the opposite of that too, is that there probably are people who aren't doing the work in your company, you know, they're working for other companies that would much rather be in your company. And if we had a stronger sense of purpose and identity, you would get more people who want to be there and want to be doing that work. And we know people who, you know, who feel a sense of connection to their career do work harder, do have greater outputs. And so, you know, I I think that is really essential work that could be valuable in a professional development standpoint as well. But, you know, to me, like that is the scariest thing about where we are right now as a society is that we are just not taking the time to figure out who we are. And you just see so many people moving through the world without really a strong sense of self. Um, 
And then they'll have some moment where they like recognize that they're not where they should be or not who they think they are. And that can be like totally, you know, this total upheaval of, of someone's life when suddenly you're like, how did I get here? And what, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. Well, I think it's part of that I feel like is we've allowed ourselves to be dominated by algorithms. Yeah. Like just in general, algorithms under the under the underbelly of technology has determined our identities for long enough now that there is this personality crisis point that a lot of people are either in the throes of or, or on the precipice of diving into and figuring out, wait a second, am I really, like, do I need this? Is this the kind of person I am? Yeah. Because Facebook is telling me this is who I am. Instagram is sending me ads for all these things that look really great. Yeah. But I don't know. Do I need another pair of Allbirds running shoes? Like, yes. <laughs> do Probably two more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, like we're allowing the algorithm to determine a lot of things. And then mm. it takes the pressure off us from making decisions. And then we continue to live like that for long enough that we're, we end up in situations where we feel somewhat lost, isolated, and that, that disconnect between our own personal feelings versus our online feelings per se yeah. is that there's a gap that that void there that is really empty and soulless. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, there's a, to me where there's some hope that I like, I'm, I'm kind of, I find myself really excited about. I was just reading this article about uh, the increase of polymaths. Polymaths are people who have like three areas of expertise at least, but they're all in really contradictory areas. Right. <laughs> and that what they're saying, like the future of humanity is, is that like, like, we are figuring out like all these linear paths we were on before, like machines can do now. So lawyers, truck driving, like all these, you know, like whatever, all these skills, as long as they're linear and, and logical, we can make a machine do it. What machines can't do yet is contradict themselves. Right. Right. And that's something humans do all the time. Like we can live in these incredible spaces of contradiction where, you know, we at the same time are holding two totally contradictory identities that make sense for us and that we've been able to piece together. And so I think, you know, but again, that's, that requires a lot of time and space and self-reflection to get to that point where you understand, yeah, like this part fits me and this part fits me. And those things seem competing, but I found a way to pull them together. Uh, and I, and I think that is really, you know, that's fun, but that is creativity, right? It's, it's taking wellness and sports and, you know, gender conversations and, you know, eighties hair bands and merging them together into a really interesting program. You know, the computer's not going to pull those pieces together. Some AI is not going to figure that out, but we can. Um, and I think that's, you know, what I hope is that as, as again, as we can shift some more of that menial labor back to machines, we can free up more space for people to just sit in really creative spaces and imagine what else could happen. Yeah. I'm sure this is what Hegel thought about when he was creating his dialectic this German existentialism on, on the human condition, but, but that is, that's absolutely fascinating, but it, and it ties into the way that, um, we can, we can figure some of these pieces out though. I mean, yeah, these contradictory things are significant and figuring out ways to put them together are, are very meaningful for mm-hmm. us because that's, that's oftentimes probably you know, where we end up in some of these, like we talk about mental health and stress related conditions is we end up going down in a corporate path where we may have been good at this or we started, we felt like this was our path, but eventually a lot of people, and I have a lot of conversations when I do men's health programming with people who are now in like their fifties and they just don't like their work anymore. It's, 
it's no longer fun for them. Yeah. And now because they've spent their entire life invested in only work, they don't know what to do with themselves yeah. outside of work. <laughs> and I, I, I'm saddened, but I'm grateful that we have those conversations because it's immediately you're tapping into all of this that you just talked about. And really you start talking about what's, what's meaningful. I mean, work is meaningful and, and it's gotten, it's gotten them to a point, but ultimately then what we want people to try to do is to think a little bit deeper about what feels like their purpose is yeah. in order to get there. You have to know a lot about yourself and you may have not, you may have not thought about yourself in 10, 15, five, 20 years. Yeah. yeah. It's never too late to start. No, it, you know, and it, and yeah, I mean, I just, I, I can't imagine any wellness program ever actually doing any sort of good without that core piece. Right. Like, I don't know what the purpose of wellness without a strong sense of self and self-awareness is, because how can you be like, how can you know what to work on? You know, and, and I think that that often what is then worked on is distractions. Right. Like, I mean, if you're if you're just trying out a fad diet because that's a way to see some sort of physical change to yourself without actually getting at why you want that physical change or what your goals are, or purpose is, uh, you know, I think that that that's not going to get you anywhere, right? It's going to get you probably a couple of weeks of looking slightly better and then ditching the diet and going back to who right. you were before. Right. right. Any last thoughts, any last, any last comments you want to share? Uh, I, I mean, I, and use this to our advantage in our corporate worksite wellness. Yeah. Lives. I mean, I think the big thing is just, I, I, I do think, I mean, we've talked about this. I do think this is the future of where wellness is going to go. I think more and more companies are going to figure out that they need to be playing a role in supporting the lives of their employees outside of their specific job description. Uh, I think the companies that figure it out and do it well first will be the companies that have the strongest employees because employees will want to work for a company like that. And the companies that resist this change or, or don't spend the time figuring this out are going to be the ones that end up with the employees who uh, can't find work in these institutions that are actually supporting their employees better. And so, you know, if, if you want the best and brightest employees in your, in your firm or company or organization, um, you know, they're, they're going to be drawn to companies that are investing in them in this way. Yeah. That's, I know when I, a few years ago, I worked a lot uh, with the Wellness Councils of America, the previous um, director there, um, David Honeycutt. And one of the things I remember him talking about was when when employees started there, when he had brought someone on, he made them go to their work calendar and block off an hour um, of time. Mm -hmm. And he gave them a book. And he says, we won't schedule any meetings during this time. That's your time. And this is, I'm paying you to process. I'm paying you to think, I'm paying you to write. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a simple, it's a simple step and it's brilliant. And so it goes back, you know, when you're talking about those lunch conversations, giving an extended lunch mm -hmm. and where do we drive our corporate environments? If we can drive them towards accepting some things that may have not been at first seemingly efficient or economical on their part, but have lasting benefits in terms of process and continue to figure out ways to measure it out outside of our traditional measurable um, expectations, then we're going to find that we're getting to a better point for the individual than then into the team, to the department, and then to the 
group to eventually the company level mm. and raise that raise that opportunity for health and well-being in, in those in those ways that make a lot of sense where we're talking about creativity, resiliency, mm-hmm. creative problem solving, critical thinking, which are all essential elements to our future. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an example. So Google is the one that is, is talked about most often. Mm-hmm. They have their 10% time right. where they allow c- employees to work on projects. But I always want to tell people when they, they look at that model, because I think there are some really great things about that model, is what would it look like if the company didn't at the same time require ownership of the results of that time? Right. Because, I mean, that's to me where Google totally messed up, is that Google then said, and anything you do during this time, we own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's been really great for Google. I mean, they've, that's how Gmail was created. That's how a lot of their, you know, sure. a lot of their innovations came out of that time. But just thinking about what how different it would be if a company communicated, I'm not, we're not doing this for us. We're doing this for you. And if you create something in this time, awesome. Like we hope you're successful. Like it, we would be really proud to be the company that you were working in when you left to, to go do this other bigger venture. Mm-hmm. And we trust that like that story alone will help attract the next version of you to our company because somebody else who's got a great idea is going to want to be supported and not feel owned in that process. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I think just again, that, that is that, is that best for the bottom line? No. Is that best for the human who's in that, that position? Yes. Uh, and it would be great if we could start making that decision. Good. We should. Yeah. All right. What's on tap here is next up for Create Portage uh, County. Next big thing for us is that we're doing 10 free weeks of live music at the Band Shell. And uh, they'll start June 6th through August 8th, every Thursday from 6 to 8. So uh, a really great, we actually are, this year are incorporating a wellness hour before it too. So we're calling it Flow. Uh, five o'clock to six o'clock. If people want to come down early to the Band Shell, there'll be yoga. There'll be painting and poetry writing and paddling on the river uh, and opportunities to just sit as well. Uh, but the idea, again, just gathering in community to relax, not necessarily feel like that time has to be full uh, and getting into the mindset to then sit and enjoy the music and be in community for the next two hours that will follow. Perfect. Yeah. We'll see you. We'll see you out there. Sounds good. Find some good uh, either hair metal. Sure, it's not gonna be <laughs> yeah, online. It's all hair metal. Probably bands. some good it's bluegrass. Just poison cover bands. <laughs> that would be my dream. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks. All Dave. right. Thanks.